0: Dedicated to Henry Farman. In the years of the primal thought from the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and thought, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an early tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam. He harnessed the lightning for fire, he drove the celestial team of man. Was the
1: Well, 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 my friends, welcome to episode 68 of Agitators Anonymous. This is Alan Averill. Greetings from a rainy and grey Dublin. Normal service has been resumed. summer, loaded for a couple of weeks, but now the system has failed and we are back to normal. Well, the new normal, whatever that may be. So, episode 68, what are we going to discuss? Well, I've had a couple of things written, quite a lot of things to say, quite a lot of things have happened over the last few weeks. You will notice um, over on the YouTube channel and with the podcast, I've sort of done a few things just really nerding out about music, nerding out about metal. The talk with Danny Lilker from Nuclear Assault, SOD, etc. went down pretty well. Um, And it's just total heavy metal nerd stuff. Um, And also the second part of our Metal Salvage chats, which is basically me and Joe from that Gamma Bomb. What sort of accent was that? Joe from Gamma Bomb just talking nerdy metal stuff and throwing stats at each other and trying to out-nerd each other, all things considered. So maybe go over to my YouTube channel and subscribe and take a look. Um, Because it's fairly leveled out there with lots of different nonsense over lots of different... Uh, context, not all political, not all whinging about this, that, and the other. First things first, though, some of you will have noticed that Primordial has announced a gig in London. It's called Resurgence Ritual, along with Sayer, Hellripper, and Fenn. It's on Sunday, the 29th of August, in the Electric Ballroom in Camden, in London, by Aeon Promotions. Um, And, you know, it's been quite strange. A lot of people have been messaging me about it, asking me how I feel. Isn't it good to be back um, to normal? Isn't it this, that, the other? And the truth is that um, I won't actually believe it's going to happen until the intro is rolling and I'm about to step on the stage. In the great words of Mr. Peter Steele, no hope, no fear, because of the way things have gone over the last 19, 20 months and the way that... Let's be clear, music, art, social society has been treated, which is as if it has little or no importance. Um, It would not surprise me that the rules between now, July the 20-somethingth, and August the 29th in one month arbitrarily change. And that whatever procedures we all have to, or hoops we have to jump through between now and then, um, change completely and Uh, I don't know the new, let's have a look around the room, the new Monster Energy Ultra Variant will put paid to our aspirations for trying to hold some form of artistic or musical communion. Now, I know many of you are quite tired of hearing about lockdown, about all of those kind of things. And it is true. It is absolutely exhausting. It is tiresome to talk about. Um, And it is... Also true that quite a few people have been messaging me going, oh, look, maybe a ray of light at the end of the tunnel that you've organized, um, you know, that this gig has been organized. Now, of course, if you've been listening to the podcast, you will know that I am a glass-half-empty kind of person. And so being um, angry about what's been taken from you doesn't mean you can be um, positive about one small thing that um, potentially has been organized that doesn't alleviate all of those things now of course maybe i should do a little bit more soul searching and a little bit more um, a little bit more listening to the stoics and try and find inner peace in relation to those things bloody bloody blah well yes london um, so we have to see whether this can happen and um, like i said at the moment um, boris johnson over in the conservatives over in the uk are sort of forging along with opening To some degree, I'm quite how much this has to do with Brexit and um, Johnson's, I suppose, social, cultural saber rattling against the EU, against Merkel, all this kind of thing. It is quite strange that for the last 10 years, 20 years, we've been told constantly how. Uh, we're part of a global marketplace, we're Europeans, we're pan-European, we're all these kind of things, that Ireland is a part of the EU, the structural funds of the EU, this, that and the other, etc, etc. But as you've heard me talk about in the podcast, then when it comes to actually looking at what some other countries in the EU are doing in relation to reopening society or allowing people to have some liberties and freedoms back, that does not compute. And Ireland goes its own way like it was 1955 and Archbishop McQuaid is telling Eamon de Valera quite what to do with the Irish population. Um, so, will this gig happen or not? It's hard to say. Um, certainly, at the moment, London looks more um, of a, a better venue, let's say, than, for example, in September, Primordial is also supposed to play Prophecy Festival, and the following day, the Barug, the very famous Barug in Rotterdam, Baruch Open Air. But yet, as you may or may not have noticed, for example, in Holland, um, they just shut down the clubs and bars again for another month through um, cases and variants and this and that and the other. And I think this is what you will see reflexively consistently as we move ahead, is that social society as we knew it or basically to be um, cynical about it, anything that young people do who haven't got the vaccine yet will be arbitrarily shut down um, on a whim or maybe if you disagree with that will be shut down for um, a real and just reason one or the other I suppose um, I think by now we clearly understand that most of these decisions are the um, better to be safe than sorry and uh, over caution means that nobody can ever be um, accused or no one ever appropriates any personal risk or jeopardy and Certainly not the political class, that's for sure, who are able to ride out most of these things in a different way than the rest of us. But it will certainly seem that um, clubs, bars, as I said, social society, music, art, culture, this kind of stuff uh, would appear to be completely dispensable when it comes to the first reflexive thing to shut down. And certainly in Ireland, we haven't even reached the stage where they are reopening yet. Um, So what does the gig announcement mean To me. Um, Well, I suppose, like I said before, I'm not really somebody who gets that excited about these things until I'm actually sitting on the plane on the way over. Um, You see a poster for a gig in Chile or um, in Sao Paulo or Mexico or Moscow or whatever, and you go, "Okay, I'll believe that when I'm sitting on the plane on the way over, when all members are present present and correct and everything is on its way. I don't get excited or look forward to these things because... I suppose in the early formative years of the band, um, before we really started going on tour, so many things were arranged that just fell through. And when you're younger, you tend to, of course, be more excited, more exhilarated by these things. And the fact that tour after tour after festival after festival was just cancelled um, sort of gave you a thick skin about these things. And you decided, well, from now on, maybe looking forward, I'm not going to put all my shall we say, emotional eggs in one basket if you had them to begin with. And um, I'm not going to, you know, uh, wind myself looking forward to this trip because it could quite easily be cancelled. Now, of course, the reasons why something might be cancelled now, as opposed to back then, um, are very different. So um, what are the chances of us actually playing there? I think, to be honest, probably the way London is going ahead. Now, of course, in Ireland, we've opened indoor dining, etc., etc. Sorry to be boring you talking about these things once more. This was a sort of vampire accent there. Um, but you can be sure the media for the next week or two will be full of scare stories about rising cases from reopening and this and that and the other, as we can see that mostly, um, most mainstream media reporting is utterly duplicitous with um, the government and state narrative when it comes to adhering to social restrictions and rules. But lockdown is over, Alan, surely it is, somebody said to me the other day. And you may disagree with this principle, but uh, to me, no, it's not. Um, Originally, we were given a level one to five reading of lockdown, five the most strict and one the most um, relaxed, so to speak. Wrong word, but yes. And the fact that we were never in one, um, but... Quietly, uh, those discussions of one to five just eased and nobody talked about them anymore because I think the idea was, well, if if we create a society that literally is in level two and then stop talking about it, people just accept it as normal. And so, yes, we are still in lockdown. While there are any rules and restrictions, then yes, that is a form for me of lockdown. And saying it isn't allows the agents of, shall we say, disaster capitalism or profit a free pass by not saying so so um, my motives for saying so are because that it allows too many people off the hook so to speak when it comes to the reasons and why they profit from um, keeping people within these places so for me yes we are still of course in lockdown because you do not have ultimate uh, freedom of movement Um, you know talking to you from a rainy grey um Percentage-wise, empty, derelict city where um, few people venture into to socialize anymore, that there are no gigs, culture, art, comedy, whatever else. Um, To me, that still is a form of lockdown. Now, it might not be the same lockdown, but I understand, like I said, this comes back to the glass half empty, half full view of society. Anyway. So I suppose it is in some way um, a movement in the right direction. And many people who listen to the podcast have been sending me little clips of attempted gigs that are happening where people are, um, you know, sitting outside. Sometimes they're non-restricted. We also saw the download pilot, which appeared to be 30 or 40,000 people who just had a test, went in um, and. I haven't heard any news of track and trace numbers or was it a super spreader event? Of course, of course. Um, I mean, look, the, the the clever, or shall we say the logical thing to do for, um, for example, our government here would be to go, oh, you did a thing. What was the result? Oh, that was the result. Oh, maybe we can apply that logic to us also doing a thing. But, of course, that's not quite how it works because there's too much... Um, middle management bureaucracy involved. As Hannah Ernt call it, the banality of evil may be uh, the application of the civil service to your uh, social um, freedom and liberty, so to speak. Sorry, Hannah, for taking your name in vain. And what do we really mean by the banality of evil in that sense? What we mean is that um, bureaucracy has to grease the wheels of every great atrocity in humanity generally. There has to be somebody filing the paperwork going, we must make the trains run on time, don't you know? That kind of thing represents, I suppose, the banality of bureaucratic evil, Hannah. So, what does this mean for people who are going to enter, who are going to try and go to this gig? Well, I think realistically what it means is that maybe in the UK you are going to have to have uh, an antigen or a PCR test. Um, The UK is not yet making noises like it's uh, like, for example, we are over here that we are looking at creating some form of two-tier society, i.e. the vaccinated are allowed inside and the unvaccinated are not. That said, I look in the um, media today and it seems that Boris Johnson is suggesting the very exact thing come the end of September that people are going to have to require everything like that to enter museums and um, venues and nightclubs etc so ah, who knows which is kind of where um, it's kind of where France was going or where Macron announced the other day um, that they were looking at sort of creating this sort of two tier society and it is very very worrying that that is the sort of language I mean I, I, I haven't really understood yet whether they really were implying that the vaccinated can vote or not, but and don't quote me in bad faith there, as many people wish to do often. I said I don't quite understand the implications, so therefore there is still a question to be asked, right? The idea that we're going to create some form of, um, and I'll use the word, even some people might not like it because they would consider it too hyperbolic, but the idea that we may create some form of apartheid society yes, I know, it's a rather extreme word, is possibly on the cards, where by tests of various sorts or herd immunity or whatever, these are the things you have to consider are not taken into account anymore and merely you need this passport to get into everything. Um, Looks kind of on the cards. And certainly in Ireland, it looks like um, it looks like that is what they're going to create. Now, the UK, for now... Looks like it's going in a different direction, although the English government has said that by the end of September, they are looking at doing something like that. So I think realistically, next year, we are going to have to consider the fact that um, you are going to need this electronic biometric passport, which I talked about in episode one of this uh, exhausting, tiresome podcast and said this is what is going to be created. Um, and so we are essentially creating a sort of um, two-tier society, uh, potentially. And I've been reading that the, um, the take-up of the vaccine amongst, for example, ethnic communities is very low. And so is that not somehow going to be framed as racist? And how will it not be defined as racist? Maybe it's against your religion. Maybe you're a young woman who is uh, looking to get pregnant. I don't know. Lots of questions. But seeing as... Asking any questions has you framed as being an anti-this or anti-that or anti-the-other. But let me just qualify, as I have often said, is that scepticism is the only rational perspective on everything. At least in my opinion. Not cynicism, but scepticism. At least asking the questions. But unfortunately, it seems that most things um, are being framed in a sense that asking a question means you are this. There seems to be an only a binary choice given to people. A moral, cultural, social Ethical, ethically binary choice, good or evil. Which are you? Are you a good person or are you an evil person? Well, maybe you don't believe either in the structures of these simple binary concepts of good and evil. And maybe the truth is you are in the middle. You are nuanced. Again, sometimes people accuse me of fence sitting. Fence sitting. What exactly does that mean? Um, You sit on the fence. Well, you know what? I've tried to explain this in a previous podcast. And that is, if we consider the political system in a simple way, um, I call it like a, how we say, the nine number system, one to nine. One is the far, far left, nine is the far, far right. Your average person is four, five, six, or three, four, five. They aren't really one or nine. But if the ones call the fives the nine, they destroy the middle ground, the fives, and vice versa. It's a rather um, simplistic system, I suppose, but I think illustrates mm, the concept pretty well, which is that if you consider yourself politically homeless, which maybe I do, um, I have nuanced views, as a normal person does have. And I understand that in the binary choices of black and white online argument, being uh, nuanced is not what something that anybody wants to hear. They also don't want to hear moderate man says reasonable thing as that just doesn't generate any clicks. And it's not a sexy answer. It appeals to either side. So if you try and hold the line in the middle, um, it isn't really fence sitting to me. Uh, what other people call fence sitting is trying to apply logic. Um, fence sitting is um, understanding that there are multiple narratives all playing out at once. There are multiple reasons why things happen. There are many agents of power, of irrational agents. Um, if you take any pivotal moment in history and you say, well, what happened? Why did that happen? Did World War I start exactly because of Gabriella Princip pulling that trigger and killing Archduke Ferdinand in the streets of Sarajevo? Is that exactly why the First World War started? It isn't. Let's be honest. There were many other reasons why. Pick another moment. Um... Let's say, you know, you have Sunday Bloody Sunday in Derry. Um, Did the, you know, did the IRA's um, military campaign um, in the north of Ireland start right after that moment? Or do we have to go back through history and look at all the points of light that brought us to that moment? Well, I think you do. And I understand that that's frustrating and difficult because what it means is that um, there has to be many, many debates. And. Unfortunately, they often get mired down in the grey area, and that is where I think most things reside. So if the fence is the grey area, then I sit on the fence because I don't wish to be claimed for either side. And I understand that for a lot of people that they want a crusade. they They want answers. They want justice. They want all of these ephemeral things sometimes that are quite complicated because there are many different reasons as to why all of those things happen. And that is why, you know, sometimes people say to me, yeah, oh, you're sitting on the fence or they say, oh, you're dog whistling, dog whistling because you're not saying what you really mean. And well, A, who is it for anyone else to assume that? And B, also the fact that everyone also is always assumes that um, they almost always assume the bad faith argument of those they disagree with, I think, is an intellectual dishonesty because... Because what this really means is that you're always defined by the most outlying argument to prove someone else's point, um, which is, as I said, an intellectual dishonesty. If you have a question about something, then somebody applies the most extreme um, definition to that. If you say, "I have a question about," I have a question about the motives of Big Pharma, for example. Didn't they cause the opioid crisis? You must be an anti-vaxer. Uh, no, I didn't say that. I said I had a question about the motives of Big Pharma. Only yesterday I simply posted um, a link to, well, it was really just a picture of, uh, which was from Reuters, which merely stated Pfizer's profit margin was at 33.5 billion for the last year and a half or so. And just placing that on my Instagram, just a picture, all it was was an observation of a financial dividend by a company that has a lot to gain from Um, the situation that we're in. I mean, that is an an inarguable position. But the comments underneath were just people tearing strips off each other. Anti-vaxxer this. Are you defending capitalism? Are you against capitalism? Oh, right. So they should do it for free, etc, etc. And it just struck me like, wow, you can't even just make an observation, not even say anything about it. Just place a picture which simply states Here is a company, this is the profit margin they have made. Think about that in any way you wish. No, as I said, people took the observation merely in um, either the worst faith of either way possible. People somehow on one side assuming, oh, this is part of some 5G anti-vax thing. Look at this alt-right comment, blah, 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 blah. Really? An observation about... Um, Big Pharma's financial dividend represents that to you. And on the other side, oh, I still see you have some bootleggers following you on Instagram. Surely they must have all been gotten rid of, blah, 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 blah. People fighting, arguing, um, not even taking a moment to think and just digest the number, um, which is all that I really meant. And it really just encapsulated the way things are right now in that, um, just an observation of a number, which is a profit margin, is so partisan. Um, there's nothing you can say, and it really just brought home to me the reason why um, we are in the situation that we're in. In that the um, the divide and conquer strategy employed by let's call it state, tech, pharma, the technocracy, if you want to call it, has so been has been so perfectly played. I'm not sure that we have a card to play left at the table. I'm not sure we have a hand left to play because the divide and conquer um, has been so perfectly uh, manipulated and formed over the last 20 months that even just, as I said, an observation of a number can cause chaos, consternation, um and just vengefully angry comments. And I think that that's really speaks volumes. Which, until... Recently, uh, most reasonable people did. But there you go. You, you're always, for the purposes of those who wished to um, tar you all with the same brush, they uh, will attempt to always define you by the most extreme outlying argument. And like I said, this just destroys the middle ground. It destroys compromise. It destroys debate. But of course, debate isn't really what it's about. It's only usually about winning. But of course... If you don't seek to reach, to reach compromise, you only seek to win. Well, then you might as well paint the people that you um, think you disagree with in the worst possible light. As some people have said to me, um, you know, shouldn't I stay in my lane Um, Does it do you any good to talk about politics in your podcast? Well, I don't know. I personally don't think that I actually have much of a choice but doing that. And if anybody has read any of my interviews or understands what Promodial has sung about for 20 or 25 years, then yes. What was I going to do? Go and become, um, you know, go and restore furniture for the last 19 months and stay quiet? you know, it maybe might have done my mental health um, more of a favor. But that's not what I chose to do. So I choose chose to do the podcast. Now, if you decide that you dislike a sentence, I say, so therefore that discounts all of the music I've made for the last 30 years. I would say the problem lies with how you interpret these things. I don't wish to agree with every artist I like. I don't wish to agree with every uh, musician, every writer I like. That's just not how the world works. If you only wish to find things that fit into your worldview, Um, well then a pretty dull and boring world it will be. And also when you dig down, you'll find that even the people you campaign and crusade for, you probably aren't going to like everything that they think. It's a very reductive view of the world. But do I do myself favours by discussing some of these things? Yes and no. Some of you sent me some um, links to some arbitrary list that somebody made uh, accusing the band of this, that and the other. And I'm not going to give it... um, I'm not going to give it oxygen, but it did make me think about the idea that should we address our critics? Um, and the answer, I think, is no, because it, we're not really addressing our critics, because this is not really critical. If the playing field was even and somebody, you know, I suppose, in a way was to accuse you of something and say, hey, I read this thing and here's the exact quote. What do you mean by that? And you might say, well, you know, that's a quote from when I was 19. I'm now 45 years old. We change as human beings. Are you willing to accept the fact that some of us grow up? Yes or no. Um, But you realize that that's not really what it's about. It's not really about debate. It's not really, you know, Gore Vidal versus Buckley or whatever you want to say. It's about winning. It's a competition. It's about bringing people down. It's about cancelling them. It's about all those kind of things. It's about the idea that there is no due process. Um, And one of the most, uh, I think, incredulous and ridiculous things is the idea of being, um, let's say, politically adjacent, which basically means we think that you're friends with somebody we think we disagree with, Um, which, of course, is a sort of incredible intellectual dishonesty, because you will find that most people, uh, most bands, most musicians have played on a stage with somebody from somewhere that you probably disagree with. Um, So applying the same logic to everybody means... Nothing happens, which I find quite fascinating because I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently is um, are the people who want to cancel shows, are they happy now that there are no shows? Surely this suits them. If you support cancel culture, surely the idea that there is no social society, this should please you because all the people that you dislike are not able to speak. Sure enough, they've had to all be moved online, but it means they're not on your college campus, they're not in your local venue. but I have a feeling this doesn't make people who support council culture happy, because they've got fuck all to do. They're a bit idle now. Oh, well, you mean I can't make that uh, sign and go down and stand in the street and wave and this and that and the other, or we can't, um, you know, do, we can't harass this person or that person, or it strikes me that part of it all is the action, the movement. It's taking part in something that you think brings action or justice. And I was thinking about it the other day, seeing as, let's say, let's say lockdown moved in perpetuity now onwards, which it may do, but it gets stricter and there just literally is no social society. So you don't have any more gigs to try and be cancelled because they all just get shut down. Is that what people want? Would that make people happy? I think it wouldn't because then you realise that, Oh, all the bands I like can't play either. In fact, nothing can happen. And then you realize, is, is the justification for your um, existence really based on opposing things? I, I exist because I've, here's what I've set myself up to oppose. Does that make sense? Maybe it does because you're uh, validating your own existence. And if you were to take away all the things that you opposed and just go, okay, you have a free run now. um, Do something entirely different and positive. I don't think that many people would really want to do that. But certainly the creation of some form of two-tier society um, should have, it should ring many, many, many alarm bells. I mean, even you may notice that... um, Dating apps, for example, Tinder in Ireland is now um, going to join with our health services to allow people to show whether they're vaccinated or not, um, which I think somehow sets an incredibly dark precedent as if um, the state didn't control people's um, dating or even casual sex habits more than usual because they've eliminated social society and people's chances of meeting, um, which let's be clear about this, are less percentage wise than they were when there was an open and free society. Sure, of course, some people are still meeting. And yes, anecdotally, you might know some people who have had a kid or something, but that's not what I'm talking about. Statistically, it is inarguable that if you take away the platform, you'd or well, the, the actual real life platform um, situations with which people are able to meet because you've got them scared into their uh, bubbles, etc., then yes, the knock-on effect will be that they're is less people meeting, having relationships, etc., which knocks on to how many people will have children, so to speak. Am I being a bit too dark in thinking that all of these things, i.e. the segregation of people through uh, dating platforms, which are one of the few things left that people are able to maybe meet with each other, has an incredibly dark precedent, because what you're doing is allowing um, an element of the state, i.e. the health and service executive, to meddle, in your um, ability to meet somebody. It seems to me to be to be an incredible example of how um, short-termist almost everything that's happened in the last 19 months is, that people are making decisions on the fly about um, how society should be that could have disastrous implications in a couple of years that I'm not sure they're thinking about. Like I said, I don't really believe in some huge Machiavellian umbrella plot um, because the simple fact is that the amount of working parts that would take all moving in the right to, in one direction, I think are incorrect. Uh, that's just cannot happen. It's not mathematically possible, but perhaps they're shearing the stip and they're shearing the shearing the sheep? No, steering the ship in a certain direction. This could very well be true. They have their hands on the tiller at any one time. But we're getting into dangerous territory now because you see across the United States, um, they're starting to, at least by the one video I saw, have volunteers knocking door to door asking about the process um, and like I said, some people are annoyed that I use the word apartheid and that's, to be honest, one of the reasons why I use the word because it stimulates conversation and irritates people who think that everything is benign because clearly everything is not benign and to think things are just, asher, look at it, it'll be grand this is a Obviously not how it will turn out because that's not how any pivotal moment in history ever turned out for everyone. Um, so you're doing yourself an intellectual disservice if you're unwilling to at least contemplate some of the grey area, or even some of the area inhabited by people you dislike. If you're if you're caught up in the idea that you've always got to protest the protester, then you'll never get to the um, you'll never get to the core of maybe what might be in their argument. As they say, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. You know, the people you think you fundamentally disagree with might have some points, and reaching some form of nuanced consensus is probably more um, worthwhile to society, at least to hear them out. But it sets a very dangerous precedent throughout throughout history if we look back at any moment in time whereby we think, oh, you know what, segregating people by their health status could be really Um, beneficial Um, how far are people willing to go for that imagine in the 1980s if people had said well you have AIDS I think you're going to have to wear um, some kind of a sticker on your uh, clothes or maybe could you wear um, I don't know a green hat or something all of the time etc etc one thing that's very clear about the situation that we're in is that the the irrationality of um, short-termism and knee-jerk reactions to decisions um, just seem to be happening everywhere. And in countries which do not have, um, let's say countries that have a democratic tradition, such as Ireland, um, giving 30 new rules to, um, um, let's call them the institutions of authority which run this state, just giving them arbitrary new rules because you think that's a good idea uh, looking uh, at at the summer months of controlling young people. Those rules stay on the statute books as they don't have sunset clauses. What happens if a real tyrant comes along in three or four or five or eight or 10 or 20 years and goes, oh, see all those new rules? I think a police state would be a good idea. And to anybody who thinks that those kind of things, ah, sure, that can't happen here, Alan. Take a look at history and understand that every country has had... um moments where they flirted with dictatorship, with tyranny. It could be religious, it could be autocratic, or it could be what's coming in the future, a form of technocratic um, tyranny. I mean, look how we're invited to take part in the joy of watching the Bezos-Branson space race. Here are billionaires who have made money from um, exploiting working class people working in their factories, from tax breaks, uh, across the board, also f- from funding um, given to you from your taxes, um, who are racing to space and you are being invited by um, the mainstream media to somehow take part in this as a distraction from the situation that you're in, to find joy in the fact that Jeff Bezos is um, Jeff Bezos is going into space. Isn't this insane? that you're being invited to take part in a a billionaire's boys club. Um, This used to be, the space race used to be something that was between states, whether it was a Cold War proxy um, ideology that had had pitted the Soviet Union against the United States. But this was still the um, this was still two states moving against each other. But it shows you the power of tech in a sense that tech is more powerful in many senses than most states. You've seen this throughout the last 19 months and prior to this in the um, the fact that big tech has taken it upon itself to try and curate the debate. Now, some may say curate, I would say censor. But certainly they've sought to take out opposing viewpoints to some of these um, narratives. So you've got state, big tech, big pharma, um, and all of these institutions, it would seem with the mainstream media working in tandem together to uh, present one narrative to the people. And that is uh, so worrying. I mean, even in our own state last week, there was a protest here in Dublin, um, which had many, many, many more than the 1,500 people reported by our mainstream news broadcasters. Why do they underreport these things? I think what's happened is that um, whether it's a form of self-censorship or the sense that, um, I still think the hangover of Trump derangement syndrome is within people's memories so strong in the sense that um I can tell that whoever the journalist is who's reporting on this thinks I have to underreport this or else I'm giving credence to um people who I've decided that I'm diametrically opposed to. So it's not really journalism, it's activism in that sense. And we see posters all around our city going, um, which are, you know, positive activism. No, I don't know what they're about. It just says Moral activism. It's just um, sort of strange summary posters inspiring people to activism. Now, most people don't notice these things, but I do. Um, and so is that the reason why um, the nation state itself seems so powerless in the face of big tech? Um, and especially, in I suppose, in trying to get uh, the message across to younger people. I often think about this in a sense that... Um, One of the reasons why so many um, young people, I think, you know, young people feel so disconnected from the things that somebody like I would feel we are losing is because um, the online world, the idea of being an online citizen means you have less connection to the real world examples of your nation state. So you think, well, who cares if we lose them? Who cares if we lose the public space? Who cares if we lose the general or the general, the genuine, real-life space where people meet because the online world is enough. Maybe I'm being overly sim- simplistic. So let me try and explain a little bit more um, what I mean by that. What I mean by that, in the sense, is that we're invited to be a citizen of nowhere. The global citizen is essentially a citizen of uh, no specific place um, other than the online marketplace. So if you're a citizen of nowhere, how can you identify with being... Um, a citizen of somewhere, as in the traditional identification with the nation, state, city, um, all of those things that, the hist- the history that defines where you are actually from. If you've been uprooted from that, as in, I suppose, um, that digital history replacing actual history, then you have no connection to those things. So those things become, in essence, easier to take. And I think that's part of what we're witnessing now. But that is paradoxically the reason why the state finds them easy to control, because they have no connection to the things that are being taken. At least that's how I am um, considering it, musing over it, um, hypothesizing, bullshitting, someone might say, but... The idea, when you try and explain to somebody the reasons why, um, why you know culture, heritage, tradition, whatever you want to say, is important. For somebody who has little or no connection to those, they don't really see the reasons why. Well, why are you so worried about these things being torn down? Because they're old world. They're legacy systems. They don't really mean anything anymore. But it's certainly clear that this um, coming technocracy may be more powerful than your local government, or at least your broader government. You might be able to make changes within your local government. So one could say that the implementation of this technocratic state has always been on the cards. I'm a bit tired of people saying to me, hey, man, were we ever free? Well, you know what? We were freer. And that's important. What you're taking is the public spaces from people. And these public spaces were used, I suppose, or you could say they were um, they were a method of resistance to the technocratic um, future because people are people. They're human um, they have human desires. They wish to meet. They wish to go out and um, travel. They wish to go and gather and congregate and protest and see music and go to festivals. But if you give the technocratic state enough time to implement a state of fear within um, within people, you can move the percentages, you can move the dial. And like I said, this may, people may find it funny, but the idea that dating sites are going to require your medical status, maybe to take part, maybe you're going to have to upload them for other people to view, um, is a very dark fundament. Because if, um, for example, um, lockdown continues and people are still forced to meet um, in an ever, um, the avenues, through which people are able to meet, to form relationships, to form human relationships, become slimmer and slimmer and slimmer until they're literally controlled by an unanswerable, unelected um, health and safety. Um, I'm not going to say elite, but bored. But it's the short-termism of um, what seem like, um, you know, short-term solutions to social problems that can have vast implications as we move forward. Removing people's ability to to meet, to be human. Um, but like I said, some people will find it silly that I'm talking about this kind of thing, but having further control by the state over your sex life will impact upon um, birth rates, all of those kind of things. Now you can draw your own conclusion from that implication. Or just call me crazy if you want, or just call me plain wrong, or just plain disagree if you want. But every action has a reaction, and it just might take a little while to see them or figure them out. But certainly, that's true. So let's bring this back. Let's bring this back to the gig, the music, all that kind of stuff. Um, Could it be that gigs and festivals moving forward are going to require you to produce your papers? A Papers Please Society? to be able to take part in social society. And this is entirely when this thing started, not what politicians said. I mean, you're going to have to go back over some of their quotes and saying that they would, Boris Johnson said he'd rather eat a vaccine passport if it was attempted to be brought in. Well, quite whatever that meant, I don't know, but it looks like he's going to have to eat it. And like I said, that elements of social society, whether it's music, whether it's art, theater, comedy, culture, all those kind of things, they seem to be the first thing that's sacrificed every time there's a remote scare because, let's be honest, they, they're they seen as a young person's thing, a young person's game so therefore, dispensable um, because it's not young people who are making these decisions. And like I said, I do wonder how with some young people this resonates with them as because the idea of going to a gig is something that maybe our generation um, let's say 25 to 50, they're the kind of people who are going to miss this. So, I don't know. What an all over the place ramble. Um, I had too much to say in that podcast. All sorts of different things. There's going to be um, the next few are just going to be a bit about music, about, you know, some people have been asking me questions about this, that and the other. Anyway, my friends, the idea, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is no. Um, is something I might come back to another podcast. All right. Episode 67 is an all over the place kind of ramble about this and that but wasn't it about time go over to my youtube channel subscribe share take a look all those kind of things if you like the podcast share it with somebody um subscribe you can go to my patreon where i do other bonus stuff um all sorts of other podcasts different discussions this kind of thing and you can support the show and until then don't take me that seriously planet satan over and out this is alan averill